The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. approach to tackling coronavirus is to prepare for the worst and work for the best. You need a totally different style of leadership. It's not enough to have a plan. You need to be testing, testing, testing. Britain and the EU, do they want to be seen as locking horns on an issue such as a no-deal Brexit when the economy is going to be suffering and people's lives are going to be facing so much disruption? Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke, working from my hastily created home studio. And most of our guests, uh, pretty much from now on on Bloomberg Westminster, are also going to be uh, outside of the studio, possibly working from home. The measures are becoming increasingly stringent in the UK. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, the NHS Confederation head, Niall Dixon, about uh, what is going on health-wise uh, and also uh, the actions of the government in terms of stimulus for the economy economy because it seems increasingly likely that we are going into recession even if we aren't there already. Yeah, just a week ago, we had the budget. Now, yesterday, Rishi Sunak stepping into action once more, announcing a massive rescue package of loans and grants for businesses, desperately trying to stop coronavirus from wrecking the economy. So we've got help promised for mortgage payments, support for airlines, shops, the hospitality industry. We spoke to them yesterday. £350 billion worth of government-backed loans, grants, tax cuts in total for struggling companies. Uh, So a lot has been promised. I guess the proof really is in the pudding how this is going to be delivered and who's going to get stuff. Uh, So let's dig into this. Joining us now is Bloomberg opinion columnist Therese Raphael. Therese, surely this means more government borrowing then because this money, emergency money that it may be, it's necessary, but it has to come from somewhere. Yeah, I think uh, one big feature of this new stimulus package is that it's uh, largely focused on loans rather than grants, although there are some grants and um, loans uh, theoretically get paid back, uh, so they don't necessarily add to the to the deficit. But I don't think there's any question that there's going to be borrowing, and um, there is not very much concern about that at the moment because there's an immediate crisis and the prospect of mass unemployment, of businesses shuttering, of, you know, a uh, whole sectors of the economy kind of shutting down is, is you know, so great that uh, if you're ever going to have a time to borrow, it's this. Yeah, absolutely. Now is the time. Um, and look, lots of allusions to, to wartime, uh, obviously, and this kind of pandemic, that is what it feels like, isn't it? I'm working from home. It feels like we're waiting for a tsunami to hit, even though I've never witnessed a hurricane or tsunami myself, but that is the feeling. Um, but in terms of the money actually being offered, I noticed that it's for example, it is significantly less than what we were borrowing during uh, you know, World War II. I know that's a long time ago, but that was something like 20% of GDP. It was absolutely enormous. So we really are actually a long way from that at the moment. And Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, did promise to offer more. What might 
you think uh, will come out of the Treasury next? Yeah, I think there's no question that, that we're going to get rolling announcements of, of stimulus as needed. I mean, there were certain gaps in what he announced um, yesterday. I mean, for example, there's nothing for renters. There's uh, nothing really for those on zero-hour work contracts, um, you know, students who might have, um, say, free lunches at school who, who, who schools may soon close. Uh, and there's, it's not really clear what support is going to be offered to workers who uh, lose their jobs. I mean, those in very low uh, incomes, there is the welfare benefit system for the ultra-low income that would kick in. But, you know, there, there's still gaps here. The Labor Party has been very quick to point them out. And I think we're going to have to see the government come back and do something to support, you know, those sectors of the economy. But the, the other question I, I think that has, has still yet to be fully answered is how do the loans really uh, help some businesses if they are looking at insolvency? Because under uh, company law, businesses that take on a loan when they're hemorrhaging uh, liquidity and can't, uh, you know, aren't really solvent, uh, will go, you know, go bust. Um, so they're not really, you know, they may not be allowed to avail themselves of some of these facilities. Now, do those laws get uh, changed? Does enforcement uh, get relaxed? I mean, these are all things that we're going to have to see as, uh, as the, as you know, the days and weeks roll on, and and see whether Sunak is going to offer that. But I, I suspect we've only just seen the tip of the iceberg. And what about the self-employed? Because there's been some talk of sick pay, which really is pittance compared to earnings normally and to what we're seeing elsewhere on, on the continent. Um, and I'm looking at the number of people who are in this position. 2018 data suggesting that 15% of the population are employed uh, by themselves. And this is something we've seen increase throughout the last decade. Um, how are they being accounted for? Well, that's, I think, a, it's something that's not really addressed in this stimulus package. And, you know, it's, Britain is a service economy, and one of the reasons we're seeing the pound uh, take such a massive hit in the, in the foreign exchange markets is this economy is you know, over 80% services. A lot of those self-employed are in the services industry. What happens to them? Now, the very, you know, as we said, the very ultra-low income um, have uh, welfare benefits that kick in, but those don't kick in for quite some time. So there is really going to be, have to be measures to to, to help them. And then the question is, what is the fastest way to get relief to people who uh, don't have a lot of liquidity or savings, who find themselves, you know, think of, um, you know, hairdressers or uh, those working in nail bars or, you know, any kind of service sector, what happens to them? And this is where there's been so much discussion in the U.S. Um, and, and I think elsewhere around cash injections, um, you know, uh, how, how can you how can you just put money in people's pockets? And then the question, of course, well, what will they do with it? What will they spend it on? But I think immediately getting people uh, secure in their housing um, is is going to be a priority. Trying to reduce layoffs and unemployment so that the economy can bounce back. So you know, again, I think we've seen the government's most important signal was that it's willing to do whatever it takes. Draghi's famous words during the financial crisis are now being applied here. So this is 
this is just one measure of many, but it's getting those targets right um, is going to be so crucial. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are 5 million people in the UK who work in the gig economy on zero hours contracts. It's a massive number of people. And we've never done what the US has done in the past, uh, including in the financial crisis of simply mailing people a check, sending money uh, you know, in the post to people. That hasn't um, happened. Uh, and yet, in all of this, uh, you know, we talk about isolation, Therese, but the schools are still open, although there does seem to be a hint that that's going to stop. I mean, the measures uh, on the health crisis are also tightening by the day. Yeah, I mean, this is, I think, a much bigger uh, point of controversy than, you know, than questions over the stimulus package, why the government has taken so long to tighten measures to force, um, you know, quarantine, self-isolation. It has, uh, right. you know, it emerged in the last uh, um, couple of days that, that the measures that were taken were based on sort of flawed models that suggested that the healthcare system could hold up to the number that, of, of ill that would be sent to hospitals, and that's just not going to be mm-hmm. the case. So now we're seeing a tightening, still no guidance for schools to close, although I have to say, you know, my kids' schools have closed. I know lots of others' uh, schools are announcing closures simply because they are too overwhelmed by uh, the prospect of, you know, some children getting ill, others having to isolate. It's just not viable to run schools. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's focus on the health emergency uh, that we're getting as a result of coronavirus. You see the numbers going up by the day. Joining us now is Neil Dixon. He's the chief executive of the NHS Confederation. Uh, Neil, I guess I've got to start with asking you what many people are wondering and whether the NHS does have the capacity to be able to deal with this crisis as it unfolds. Well, we don't really know whether the NHS will cope or not. and No system will cope with almost the whole population having... Uh, illness at one time and this illness although it doesn't affect the vast majority of people very seriously for a significant minority it has a big effect and that if if there were huge numbers in that category then no system would be able to cope with that i think it's fair to say the service is bracing itself for a very large influx Uh, they're talking about in England alone, creating 30,000 beds for uh, patients just with coronavirus. One of the key things will be whether the drastic social distancing measures will work, and, and indeed some of the early containment stuff we did do here, whether that has had the effect that we hope it's having in terms of trying to slow the spread of the virus and also mean that you probably extend it, but you uh, avoid having very large numbers hitting the health mm. service at any one time. Yeah. But I think the honest answer to your question is we, we don't know what's going to hit it. Um, it. The service is very good at flexing. It, I mean, we will be clearing patients out in very significant numbers from, and routine operations will stop next month and so forth. So a whole lot of drastic steps are already being taken. 
Yeah, Neil, look, that's what um, was really, I think, surprising um, when we heard from NHS leaders yesterday um, who were speaking to MPs on the Health uh, Select Committee. The figure that came out that was most striking is that even on a conservative estimate, we could be talking about 20,000 deaths. That's what the NHS leaders were telling MPs. And that was optimistic. So, you know, and you know much better than me that that's two and a half times the normal um, uh, impact, for example, of a really bad flu season. Um, We've moved markedly day by day and certainly in the last two weeks from being really very certain that the NHS would be okay to now sounding much, much more concerned. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I think all of us, the question I think that probably has become more apparent is that the that the, the numbers rising is, is now much nearer or nearer than it was obviously two or three two or three weeks ago. I think the extent to which it's affecting every aspect of life, I'm not sure that many of us really took that on board. As far as the health service is concerned, I do think we have pretty the the service itself and certainly those of us who are representing the service, I think we've been aware of, uh, of some very simple things. Our, our health service is among the best in the world. It is pretty resilient. It does have fantastic flex. On the other hand, it already has very significant shortages of staff. It has not been very well funded compared with demand over the last uh, 10 years or so. So there are essential weaknesses within it. That said, I think we're pretty confident we can flex the service, and that's we're starting to do that. So, for example, freeing up 15,000 acute beds, block buying from the independent sector, a whole series of things that will go ahead over the next, uh, over the next few weeks. Mm. And I think we always knew that and always said, if this thing really hits us, massively, then no, no healthcare system will be able to uh, cope, as it were. It will do its best with um, that huge level of demand. What we have to hope now, and, and again, it's just not clear how the virus will actually hit and at what rate, but that we are still, I think people are hopeful that we will manage to cope, but we can't be certain of that. And Neil, one of the plans flying around was getting old, retired GPs and other medical professionals back into practice to help address the staff shortage that you talked about. How workable is that? Because from an outsider's point of view, that screams to me bureaucracy. Well, I think the first point to make is I think there is a plan to get those who've um, given up in the last three years. So it's not those long term retired, as it were, and uh, I know that the regulators like the General Medical Council, and that was my last job, I was in charge of the General Medical Council, is uh, moving to make it much easier for those doctors to get their license uh, back to practice and get them uh, in, in to help. There is an issue about older doctors and, of course, their level of vulnerability, because as you go older, you are more, more vulnerable. But then there are ways people can help, for example, doing virtual consultations and 
all sorts of things where they may not be um, exposed to the front line. Mm -hmm. As far as additional staff are concerned, I mean, I think there's also, there are quite a lot of, for example, academics who currently teach. And, you know, again, it's it's about switching them to absolutely full time. There are the just about to be qualified so mm. even those before passing their exams is looking at ways in which we can start using the newly qualified docs and nurses as it were to uh, go on to the front line again just make it easier in bureaucratic terms uh, to let them uh, obviously yeah. they'll be under forms of supervision but to get them onto the uh, useful and, and onto the front line yeah. there are even talking about how they try and get volunteers uh, supporting the NHS and g- enable them to give up their normal jobs to come in and help the health service so I think yeah. just a whole series of measures uh, and also saying to doctors, for example, you may be a specialist in X, but frankly, we, we need you now to be working in this other area, and we will try and give you all the training and support you need uh, yeah. in order to try and support these patients. Neil, just lastly, um, on the big picture, how confident are you, you know, in the face of the criticism um, you know, that's been flying around about UK government policy, how confident are you that the measures that the government is taking at the moment will actually actually help to save lives? Uh, Well, I'm, to be clear, I'm not a clinician. I I would say that most of our members, the senior people on the front line, I think on the whole are reasonably, I mean, there are niggles about, you know, um, demands for information and uh, shortage of supplies of X or Y at local level. But overall, I think generally leaders are, the feedback we're getting is that they're reasonably pleased with uh, what what is going forward. Uh, Do we know whether all these very drastic measures which are hugely affecting people's lives, their livelihoods in ways that I don't think we've ever seen before, will it work? Um, I think it's the best shot we've got, and that is as a non-expert, I think this is our best shot. The obvious thing of social distancing is to try and reduce the spread of this uh, virus. I think there is some evidence from some of the other countries that this does have an effect and so we, we, we hope we've got it at a point where we are able to suppress the peak as I think the um, the government's chief scientist has said. Uh, the only other thing I'd say which is not a boastful thing I think that in the we are fortunate in having very good public health scientists in the UK. It's just something that's built up over many years. And so I, I would say I'm sure they're capable of making mistakes or getting the wrong call. But generally speaking, I think our modelers and all the rest of it, and there was additional modeling doing, and I think that probably does um, indicate uh, some change of policy, as it were, was the modelling that came out of, I think it was Imperial College, mm. which had, again, using the latest data from uh, from abroad to understand how this virus is mm. working. And I think that that was one of the triggers for moving up a gear more quickly than we might otherwise have done. So even the best people are trying to work their way through this. But I would say 
I'm I'm confident, and I have a lot of confidence in the scientists. And for 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 now, at least, I would also say, yeah. in fairness to the politicians, that they are generally they're following the what the scientists are telling them, which is the right thing, the only thing they can do. Great stuff. Thanks so much. That's Neil Dixon, the chief executive of the NHS Confederation. Well, Caroline, let's have a look at some of the other stories. Uh, the BBC reporting that many schools in the UK will not be able to remain open past the end of the week. Brace yourself. Jeff Barton of the ASCL, the head teachers union, said head teachers of large schools were saying it would be a struggle to keep running. And indeed, we heard from Therese that some of them have already closed. And in Scotland, the first minister, Nicola Sturgeon, says it's highly possible there will be blanket school closures in Scotland as the country goes on lockdown in the face of the virus worth remembering that this is a devolved issue yeah it is uh, of course for now though the advice from the government both uk and scottish is to uh, tell parents to keep sending their children to school though i must say i was in the playground uh, earlier this week collecting one of mine and it was pretty quiet people were standing very far apart from each other uh, but then the other big issue the focus uh, you know on what to do with the uh, young with the elderly but also when it comes to supermarkets seb sainsbury's is the latest supermarket to announce measures to help the elderly and the vulnerable during the coronavirus crisis so the first hour of trading on Thursday and all stores will be just for those individuals. It comes as most delivery slots for major supermarkets in the southeast of England are now booked up until the end of the month and also uh, today we've had a warning from Morrison about only buying what you need so repeated warnings from the big supermarket chains about not hoarding not stocking up but you know hard to tell people to do that. Yeah, and really decent of them to make time for their older customers as well, who no doubt are having a very difficult time. I know I am, and I'm young, fit and healthy for now, (laughs) trying to get through the supermarket and get the things I need. There's nothing there, and everybody's piling in. Um, So it's really looking pretty tough. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.